all beans, y'all. Get it. We're going to tell you about who's playing hooky tonight. We're going to get into that. But first, let me welcome in one of the OGs of this show, a researcher, your researcher du jour. She's about as dope as can be. She is Deb at A Study of UAPs, the host of Deb's Data Dojo. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. <laughs> it's so nice to see you, Deb. Well, almost see you. And we got to talk about a show we got upcoming, you, myself, and Leah, after this show. We're going to get into it. But before I do that, the aforementioned, the brilliant one, she's bright, bright. All right? She just got off the slopes. So I know she's feeling good. She's probably trying to warm up. She's the new addition. Put your hands together for Leah. Prime time. Hey, y'all. Thank you, as always, for having me. Happy Saturday. Yeah, she's new edition baby and now you know what we got to do we don't want to waste any kind of time and bring on our special guest this evening you know we like to do these cab community episodes you don't have to be a content creator you don't have to be somebody famous you don't have to be somebody with all kinds of gravitas although let me tell you something man this gentleman right here resonates with a lot of people in the ufo community because he radiates positivity and light Okay, he is uh, somebody whom I met not long before the uh, conference that we went to in New York City, put on by James Iandoli and J.C. King. Uh, this brother right here is originally from Illinois, grew up in California, Illinois, and Virginia. He is a lifelong UFO enthusiast, six years active duty in the USAF. So that, y'all know that means he's my brother on a whole nother level other than just that we love the phenomenon. Um, He was active in uh, Japan, Vegas. He is a family man, a carpenter. Uh Uh-oh, Marky O'Boyle and him need to talk. Uh, He's he's into music production. He currently works in corporate sales, and he graduated from Old Dominion University, Norfolk, Virginia. So party people, put those hands together for Corey Jacques Kiel! Woohoo! Hey, Corey. Hey, man. Hey. Hey, man. This is a good crowd. Thank you, DJ. (laughs) Deb. Look look what I brought, man. Beautiful, awesome, smart people, man. I'm a little little intimidated anytime I see Leia on the the line. She's she's extremely smart. Dude, I'm trying. Dude. Hey, well. Unlike unlike the other dunces here on cab. Corey, I'll remember that. I have very fab. I have fabulous things to say about them as well. And she's a fellow uh, Marylander as well. So, 
That's strike one, Corey. Don't try to get out of that. All right, you got two more. All right, no, all kidding aside, I'll bring the, the volume and temperature down. It is an honor to have you. We do like to bring people on who just have these really interesting perspectives uh, on the phenomenon. And I've, I've basically marketed this as in this 60-minute block right here, uh, Corey will explain to you everything that UFOs and the phenomenon are about, and you'll leave with just oodles of knowledge that you never had. You'll you'll have no questions left. I, I feel sorry for anyone that believes that. <laughs> just kidding. No, Wait, I told disclosure was happening today. Corey, you're not leading disclosure? Yeah. Man, DJ, I can't do this, man. <laughs> I'm out, man, I'm out. This is the disclosure right here. This is it. By the way, before we go any further, I just want to let people know, uh, Money Nathan, uh, the executive producer and technical director of this joint and co-conspirator in the creation of Calling All Beings is with UFO thinker Frank uh, recording an episode today. I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm kind of excited about that. So we have three cabbies here and two over there. That's what's going down today. So Nathan, uh, Frank, love you guys, and uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, now, let's get to it. Mr. Corey, man, you know, when I get on the phone with you, man, it's like fire, man, because you can, you just like start coming up with things, man, and just start talking about these really grand things. It's just amazing nature of the universe type things. Is there something that is tickling? Let's see. When you're bald, this is easier because you can feel it more. That is tickling your brain right now. Uh, you know, there, there usually is. It's like uh, some kind of an, uh, an affliction that I have, and I just can't put it down. Just can't put it down. It's always been there. I love it. Uh, and you know what? Actually, I want to start with Deb because Deb had an idea. Deb wanted to get into you and find out your history. Right, Deb? So let me let me, yes. uh, let me pass it over to Deb so she can get into it. Yeah, so um, obviously when we met, we gravitated towards each other. I don't know, like we just instantly were like, we know each other somehow, <laughs> like we're best friends. I don't know what it is. Uh, there's like an automatic thing. So, but we never got into your story and your history. And I know it's sort of awkward to say, let's do it right now on a podcast, but let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it. Story. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so where, uh, let's see, where to start? So I've been in, uh, really obsessed with the UFO phenomenon my entire life. Um, as long as I can remember, and as long as I could read, uh, going back to kindergarten, my father was in the Navy, uh, lived in the Bay Area. I was five years old. And uh, for some odd reason, they wanted to put me from kindergarten into the first grade. When I was in the first grade, I met this lady who acted as a mentor uh, for me and a tutor. Her name was Miss Pilar. And she, uh, I guess was an experiencer. So at five years old, I had a woman and authority uh, in, a, in a position of authority just kind of confirmed for me that they were real. So uh, so throughout my life, it wasn't anything that I ever questioned. I always took it for granted that there was something being held back from us. Um, so she she set me off. And, uh, and as a kid, I basically tried to watch, read, and listen to anything I could that had anything to do with UFOs. And not only UFOs, Bigfoot, uh, NDEs, uh, you know, life. Bigfoot? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after you get in, you get into that, then you start getting into uh, philosophy. Then you get into religion. And then you get into Gnosticism. And you just start going further and further 
Um, and then you come across genetics. Uh, so I'm kind of thankful for the fun phenomena because it's kind of afforded me this education in all of these you know, broad kind of topics. You know, uh, Corey, when you talk about Gnosticism, I'm thinking of nitrous oxide, you know, you use when you want to make your car go faster in concert with like a supercharger. Is that what Gnos Gnosticism is? So, uh, and Leah probably has a lot of this, Leah. Uh, so, so, <laughs> <laughs> so Gnosis. Um, so a lot of people will know that you know, Gnosticism is, um, it's a belief system where they, the best way to say it is they look at the the Old Testament as the, the Demiurge. So the, the the God that they were talking to in the garden uh, was actually an oppressor. And the snake was there to liberate them, if you will, to give them uh, the fruit so they could be like gods. So the Gnostics have a really different take on um, on Christian theology, which I find really interesting. I'll tell you what, man, this brother is what I call learned. Leia Prime, man, go for it. Yes, I was, I, first of all, I'm totally on team Gnosticism in so many respects. So I'm <laughs> delighted to hear that you were informed by this. Um, you know, I'm, it, which actually leads me to my next question. I'm always really fascinated by the thinkers and books and media and philosophies that guide people to where they are. So Corey, can you tell us a little bit about what thinkers or works have been really formative for you? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, earlier in my life, one of my main interests was always motivational speaking. If you had asked me when uh, when I was 10 years old, 12, 15, 18, I would have said, I want to be a motivational speaker. Uh, and that's because I realized the power of word as a kid. I realized how people could walk out of a church, um, have a completely different you know, perspective on uh, what life was, you know, and and who they were. So um, a lot of the earlier uh uh, motivational speakers like Zig Ziglar, uh, Brian Tracy, uh, uh, Les Brown, uh, Napoleon Hill. So they really informed me on, uh, I guess you can say like some of the new age thought. Um, and that I realized that all these things kind of dovetailed, whether it was motivational speaking, uh, you know, spirituality and religion, um, and then the phenomenon. So, uh, but I want to answer your question. So a couple of people that informed me, uh, obviously Jacques Vallée, John Keel, um, have a, I actually had a, had a list here. Uh, sorry. Uh, Stan Friedman, I would okay. say Stan Friedman. And I think most of us will remember when we were kids, uh, Stan Friedman was everywhere. Uh, it was on unsolved mysteries, history channel, every documentary. Uh, so I would say Stan Friedman, Richard Dolan, uh, definitely Grant Cameron, uh, mm -hmm. the Lorenzans, uh, and a lot of the, uh, the uh, Ivan T. Sanderson. So a lot of the early uh, ufologists who kind of helped to launch ufology in the 60s and the 70s, early contact the movement. Wonderful. And I'm, I'll pass along the mic in a second, but I'm so delighted that volume five of Forbidden Science is out now by Jacques Vallée. I think it just got announced like today or the other day. Wow. Yeah, Remain what's up, Jacques? Hey, Shout we'll see you on cap soon, brother. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the other Jacques, Jacques Vallée. You're Jacques, but he's like the other Jacques. That, that's the, that, 
to be clear, that is the real Jacques Vallée. And that's where the name comes from. The name is derived from, obviously, Jacques Vallée and John Keel. And John Keel is not as well known as Vallée. Uh, he was a New Yorker. He was, I think he was in the Air Force or the Army, served in the Korean War. Uh, he was, so he was a correspondent. He worked for uh, AFN. Um, he actually was uh, engaged in like psychological warfare during the war. Mm -hmm. And he was a brilliant writer. And he was a very hands-on uh, researcher uh, early on. And his books are phenomenal for people that haven't, you know, read John Keel's work. You know, he's, uh, I think, foundational kind of understanding uh, what the phenomenon may or may not be. I need to do that because a lot of my philosophy have been informed by works like Pippi Longstocking would be one. Uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog, I think, was another seminal work in my life. Uh, so I'm glad to hear, you know, uh, what informed yours. Cat in the uh, Hat. Cat in the Hat, too. Very, cat, very You know what? That one was a little tough for me to to digest. So I probably need to need a reread on that. Uh, but thank you, because I, I should add that to my collection of, of, of these works. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, shout out to Julie in the chat. Uh, Jules of the Wood from Alabama. She's a remote viewer. She is is uh, run, actually she's from Indiana, but she lives in Alabama. Oh, cool. Uh, she, she? She, <laughs> yeah, she's hey, a Hoosier. So uh, yeah, she said I'm still an Indiana girl here in Alabama. So she is running the chat for us. Thank you, Jules. Um, I wanted to ask you, Corey, since you mentioned Gnosticism and, and religion, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't know if, if uh, Leah and Debs fall in this category as well, but when Dr. Psolka talks about and she conjoins the notion of God and religion into ufology, and not that I doubt her assertion in the least, I don't, but as I, because I, I know that she has made a connection, I'm trying to understand that connection. Can you tell me how you understand that connection or is, is that even something that you see that and feel that? Yeah, I do um, think that's a good question. I'm a big fan of, um, of Diana Pasoka's work. I've quoted American Cosmic a, a ton. She's uh, really phenomenal and I try to follow all of her uh, podcasts. Uh, I remember being I remember being a kid and I think I was 12 years old when uh, was it the Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gates, it was uh, a UFO cult. And I think in 1996 or 97, yes. that they were convinced there was a, uh, Haley's Bob Comet was, was coming through. And uh, according to the cult, there was a UFO that was gonna pick them up um, and take them off before destruction. And I remember as a kid thinking like, oh my gosh, I need to find these people. I need to get on this UFO, man, it's over. <laughs> you know. But to answer the question, I realized then that there was a, a, a correlation between religious philosophy and you know, researching UFOs. And I've seen that the uh, the same types of motivators and belief systems were involved. Um, and there's a lot of history uh, about that. Uh, if you look at, uh, there are a lot of uh, religious UFO cults. There's one that I think started out of, I think it was France in the 70s, uh, called Re Realism or- yeah, Oh wow. yeah, Realism. Realism. Yeah. And uh, a, a very similar contactee story. Uh, and then when you look at the literature, if you look at UFO literature, the, the encounters that people have with these entities bear such a strong resemblance uh, to what you read in you know, ancient literature, you know, religious you know, scripture. 
uh, people seeing angels. You know, it wasn't always a, a you know a joyous occasion to see an angel. Sometimes you know people were terrified, and uh, they didn't look like us. So wow. I I have uh, probably like Diana Pasolka. I've come to believe that this is all one thing. That what we were dealing with in scripture, uh, the phenomenon may be the latest iteration of that. Uh, it's it's an interesting thought. I've also heard people. I don't know if, if it was Leah who said this, but I, I've heard people say that they think that this could be an an, an emerging religion. Mm -hmm. I I the reason I'm unsure about that. And I'll, I'm going to pass it to you, Deb. So don't don't worry about that. But I'm, the reason that I don't think it will mm -hmm. is just from a standpoint that it requires a church and there's a lot of constructs and rules uh, that it seems like more than just like having an online you know if ufo twitter i don't know is that a religion that people have sort of signed up for leah is that a religion i mean i'm not sure i'd call ufo twitter a religion but i may call it a cult um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean i think um like dj I, i'm just gonna very briefly push back on this because it feels like sure this idea of religion existing as a hierarchical institution is really just an artifact of like Western style thinking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like we have the Pope or we have, um, you know, uh, like leaders of like the American Baptists or um, things like that. But um, I, I think this idea of it as a religion is founded in this notion that ufology and the phenomenon helps us sort of reconcile the subjective personal experience with what's at least nominally considered an objective shared kind of consensus uh, based reality. And it also provides like frameworks for like sense making, like to help understand and sort of um, navigate the, the strange and unusual and difficult things that happen to people. Um, and I also think that there's a huge overlap between experience or phenomena and what's typically characterized as spiritual emergence. So divine awakenings or transcendence, either spontaneous or deliberately induced, I think historically very closely align themselves with what in modernity we identify as like the phenomenon or just, you know, contacts or experience or experiences. You know, I'll, I'll come back around on it, but I, I don't want to take up Deb's time. Uh, oh. So please, I wanted go to ahead, comment on that too. Yes, I just want to point out like when external things happen to humanity, we do tend to make religions out of them. So I want to say there is an external thing happening to some people. They would argue it's an internal thing also like was mentioned by Leah, but the, there is an external thing happening and humanity's ability to grasp it ends up sometimes being a religion. And there are other examples of religions that are based off of UFO encounters. I believe the Nation of Islam is one. Um, one would argue even uh, sky god encounters, you know, so pretty much all religions for that, right? So um, I would say that doesn't exclude that from being something else is happening the same thing has happened with the sun the moon you know mm -hmm. even crops being grown you know so, so like so your position is um it it could potentially become a religion but that doesn't it's like a secondary effect okay and oh, did yeah. you did you have something else you wanted to add Corey? Or are we gonna are we gonna go um, through the no, yeah. I, no i agree with 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 with, uh, with leia 
and uh, Deb said, you know, and, and I was just thinking that I like to, I, I kind of see the phenomena as a mechanism for us uh, to evolve our consciousness. And, you know, it could be that uh, religion at that time was that mechanism. I also mentioned cargo cults. Cargo cults are like a modern example of, and I don't want to go through, you know, what they are, but people can Google this, but they're a modern example of what happens when you show up to a group of human beings and you show them something that's outside of their reality. Uh, we have this inherent kind of need, it seems, to create belief systems to understand our reality. So if you throw in that UFO, um, and let's say we didn't have our, you know, three major religions, what else would we have to try to frame what might be going on outside of, you know, our perception? Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just add that. They're they they can certainly help us frame the discussion. Those religious leaders the only part i was going to uh in, in response to what leah said is while western religion may be more hierarchical if you go to eastern religion i mean if you go to kyoto if you go to thailand if you go in the middle east you know you go to old constantinople etc there are religious symbols everywhere even if it's a little bit less hierarchical it's no less uh symbolic so there still is a, a construct if even a a physical construct even if it's, um, you know, less than some of the, the Western religions. And, uh, you know, we won't name them for obvious reasons, but, but I understand what you mean from that standpoint. Um, so I'm not sure that it's that idea. But I want to pose this question that Shannon DeSalvo has here. This is really good, and I have you guys attack that. I guess we could Shannon. start with, uh, hey, we could start with Corey, and then we can go to, uh, I guess, Leah on this one after you go, Corey, please. Uh, so I think we uh, that we have to determine the difference between a religion and a cult. And a cult. Um, that's yeah, that that is kind of slippery. Uh, a lot of cults would argue that they are a religion, and a lot of uh, religions we would argue are probably cults. Um, how would you take that, uh, Leah? I mean, what sprang to mind was one man's religion is another man's cult. You know. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, to me, it, I, I certainly make no pretense of having a background in religious studies. But um, to me, intuitively, what it feels like is that a, the occult has an extremely inflexible kind of dogmatic and almost fundamental expectation of its adherence to follow kind of all of the um, all of the rules and expectations of the group. Um, and I guess you could say at some end of the like spectrum any kind of religious orthodoxy may like be categorized as that. Um, but I also think their religion instead offers a bit more kind of flexibility or spaciousness when it comes to individual practice, even at like its most observant levels, like you still have some play in how you interpret and act within the framework of that religion. I was going to say, Leah, in our religion, I mean, the Hasidics, I think, I think there could be an argument made there, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking of when I said that. Um, <laughs> is like, I mean, like you have Hasids who follow like all 613 commandments or whatever to the T with zero flexibility. And that, I mean, as a Jew, I feel comfortable saying that feels very culty to me. But um, yeah. also understand that this is one of the major kind of extant sects within modern judaism as well i would almost argue 
I just want to say one thing, uh, just for everybody out there, including the panel, there is a Netflix movie, and I'm, I'm remiss, I don't remember the name of it, but it's about a it's a true story about a woman who escapes a Hasidic sect in Brooklyn, obviously, <laughs> and oh. escapes to Germany, to where she has a relative to escape her husband in her marriage. I think it was going to be before the birth of children. She's like, I can't, I don't want to have children with this guy. I can't stay in this life anymore. And she escapes to a, Jer a Jewish neighborhood in Germany. Uh, and, and she has a relative there. And it is a awesome movie. It's a true story. So if those of you go on Netflix and find that, uh, the, the character is extremely compelling who plays the young, uh, uh, the young lady. Wow. Anyway, I'm sorry, Debs. Yeah, I was just going to say that I've definitely looked at cults, watched documentaries, things like that. And I find that they have almost a formula. Like there's a really charismatic cult leader that no one's allowed to question. Money has to be provided. People want to go at different levels of involvement. Like they have stages of progression that they usually have to pay for. Um, there's isolation from the family. It's it's almost like a formula. It's, and it's like I, I see those patterns when I look at different cults. And I'm like, well, you know, I think it's actually not that hard to make one. Like you just need need that really charismatic leader to start, <laughs> Corey. So if you're not busy next week, I want you to think about this week. You know, you can come up. I think you could be the leader. You have awesome hair. Uh, but but Jules, our our chat moderator, Jules of the Wood, says here technically cults follow a man or woman that claims divinity. I believe. Yeah. So Jules and Jules. By the way, I just want to say Jules is also involved in library science, just like um, Leah. So, yeah. Now, you know, uh, I was reading uh, Julie's uh, quote, and it, it, uh, David Koresh came to mind. Uh, do you remember David Koresh? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the Waco <laughs> siege. Yeah. He, to his followers, he claimed to be divine. So, that is a, that does seem to be like an inherent component that you do have this charismatic leader. They do uh, claim some uh, divinity. Uh, it is very, uh, fun, you know, very fundamentalistic. Um, but at the same time, if I scale that larger, it, you know, it looks like a religion. And it's not to disparage any cults or any any religion, but uh, to Deb's point, I, I think I've told my wife a lot. It's like, I think I could start a cult. I think I know exactly what I would need to say, what I would do. And I think people, because people want to believe something. They want somebody yeah. who has the answers. And uh, yes. if they think they found that person, you know, they will follow them. And um Unfortunately, a lot of people take advantage of and they exploit people's beliefs or people's, uh, uh, you know, people's needs, emotional and social needs. And, uh, you know, you do wind up with a lot of a lot of cults. I, I think Simon Fly is trying to preempt you. He's saying that he's starting one. You just sent $50. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. It's great. I'm your second member. I just want to argue, though, that knowing that formula is how you avoid the cult. Exactly. Like, being knowledgeable is how you don't get in there. Yes. Can, can I get an amen? Yeah. Um, there's a, an indoctrination process, you know, that kind of indoctrinates you into their way of belief and they, you know, isolate you. And so we can. Move let's let's time. let's draw this into UFOs, Corey. Do you think that. Do you think that experiencers who have had uh, abduction experiences, perhaps who have been exposed to this sort of. Uh, cultivation of their belief into this group of whether it be grays or mantids or or rep 
reptilians that you need to carry our message. You need to believe what we say, do what we say. Do you think there's a possible uh, cult sort of situation going on there? Yeah. And then Deb uh, and Leah after him, please. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that's really, that, that's really hard to say. That's a very, so yes, uh, going back since the beginning of the contact me, contact the movement, we've had, you know, dozens and hundreds of people who have had profound messages and, you know, they go out and they start, you know, they start their groups. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan. Well, not a big fan, but uh, like trickster gods. You know, you think about like one of Jack Valet's book wrote a book called Messengers of Deception. So, what if it was that there was another entity uh, who was outside our space time and they were just messing around with us because they had the ability to, uh, you know, appear to be you know supreme beings or uh, or to be gods. So. And it's not to say that uh, people who are who have these beautiful messages, it's not to say that they're being used or that, you know, they're not being altruistic. It's just that um, from, you know, I'm, I'm military minded. So, um, you know, the thief doesn't come as a thief, right? So if you're getting these messages um, and there's multiple people getting these messages, uh, I think we just want to understand what the motive might be before we say this is from a, a superior being. They have the <laughs> answers. We're going to follow them. Um, hey, Corey, can I just mention to you, this is one of Nathan's very early hypotheses when we came together and started uh, sort of trying to decide what our what we thought about or what we felt about the phenomenon. This is one of them. Um, a, a long scale, a large scale psychological you know, warfare game is what uh, it looks like from from a lot of a lot of sides. Um, and one of the things I've been very fortunate these last two years to um, having got on UFO Twitter. I saw an orb in 2020. That's what kind of pushed me over the edge. I had been hearing about uh, UFO Twitter forever, listening to all you guys podcasts. So the orb kind of, you know, uh, set me over. And because of that, I've met so many great people. Uh, I, I joke that nine out of 10 of my friends are, you know, experiencers, which is kind of true at this point. And they're phenomenal people. Uh, I mean, just some of the, the, the best people I've ever met. Um, and I met a lot of them at the two conferences that I've attended and over the phone. So I'm always very careful not to, to be respectful of them and what their experience is. Um, you know, and definitely not here to say what they aren't or not experiencing, you know, I just, I respect whatever they've experienced, you know, subjectively. Debs. So yeah, kind of going back a little bit, and this is go, uh, to a, a comment that we had together or a conversation we had together, Corey and I, we were talking about how PTSD might be a factor with the phenomenon. And it occurred to me today that people who have had trauma in their lives, may be looking for answers and may be more vulnerable and may also be more hyper aware of the environment that they're in. So, I mean, these are thoughts that I had. So when we're talking about may they, may they be, they're more susceptible to cults, maybe they're like grasping for answers. I think those are all factors and, but they're also going to be the group that will be more aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, trauma, you know, I know Dr. Carla Turner, who's a phenomenal researcher uh, who passed um, 
in, in the late 90s. Uh, so she talked a lot about trauma. Really, all kind of abductee researchers uh, talk about trauma. It's a traumatic experience. Um, there does seem to be something that I don't want to say a benefit, but a byproduct of trauma. It does seem that it opens up uh, certain portions, you know, of, of, uh, of our perception, things that we couldn't perceive before. Um, I don't know if that's a necessity to awakening. I'm starting to believe that that is a part of the process. Um, I know for me personally, 2019 was a, a rough year, just, just for my, just career wise. And, you know, just being in my mid thirties and, uh, having three kids and trying to find out, you know, where I'm at, it was a traumatic year. It really was. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll be personal. I'll be candid with everyone. You know, I spent most of my adult life kind of bragging to my wife that I don't cry. It's like, oh, I never cry. You know, I, you know, I don't cry at funerals. There's nothing. You know, I spent my 20s kind of taking life just in the face. So after 2019, I couldn't stop crying. Man, I'd see somebody like walking a puppy. And I'm crying. I hear, you know, uh, somebody's sad story. I'm crying. And that year was, uh, it was an amazing year. I grew so much spiritually, emotionally. Um, so from a traumatic, from a trauma standpoint, I think that there is a, there is a, a trade-off when you have a trauma that it can open you up to, uh, something, something greater, but to your point, Deb, uh, it, could that also be an entry point for something to control you? or something to uh, manipulate you because you're at a low point. I don't know. Mm, that's a good one, man. That's a good answer. I got some, I want to ask, ask Leah a question and then we can also funnel that question over to you guys. If this happens sometimes on caps, I ask questions of my co-hosts. I just call me crazy uh, uh -oh. going off-roading here. Leah, when exorcisms occur, with this other phenomenon that's perhaps connected to our phenomenon, meaning ufology and, and perhaps a series of other phenomenons such as a, a tangential component of Bigfoot, et cetera, et cetera. But when, mm -hmm. when exorcisms occur and you have a Catholic priest that will recite a certain script uh, that will somehow eject an evil spirit from a particular dwelling, why do you think that works? If you believe, if in fact you believe it works, yes, this is this is a great question. Um, so, the answer I'll I'll give is actually very similar to how I would talk about the contact tea movement, which is that the Western tradition has very few narratives for the average layperson to navigate and interpret anomalous or strange or mysterious phenomena, either something observed or something personally experienced. And I think that the power of an exorcism isn't necessarily that, like, I, I, I think that there is something real going on in the sense that it is real to someone's reality and it's something that is um, deeply affecting them. And the process of an exorcism, one, provides um, witnessing by an authority figure that the individual trusts. So it legitimizes their experience, makes them feel less alone and more connected due to something that's likely highly traumatic. Um, the other thing it does is it provides a very powerful ritualistic container in which both the, the priest or the exorcist or the shaman is able to guide the intensity of the person's reality 
um, in a way that our current culture and current moment and current sense-making frameworks don't manage because everything that surrounds us in Western culture is so heavily predicated on this ultra-materialistic interpretation of human experience. But the reality is that um, huge, huge swaths of the population regularly experience things that are well outside that kind of materialist interpretation. So I think exorcisms or shamanic journeying or whatever provide that kind of safe container which allows someone to navigate the, their intense internal landscape. The other thing is there's something called neural annealing, which happens. And neural annealing basically is a way to excite the brain and then get it to then simmer back down in a way that's much more conducive to like, um, like emotional regulation or being able to kind of just navigate life in a more uh, reliable or stable fashion. And there are all sorts of things we do for neural annealing. Um, right now, obviously, psychedelics are a big example of this, but it could be something like having sex. It could be like really intense exercise. It could be emotional catharsis, or it could be an exorcism or a shamanic journey. Um, and this process of neural annealing is pretty well established in terms of like cognitive science and, and consciousness research. Um, and I think that when you go through that kind of ultra intense shakeup, it then uh, provides like this emotional and psychological catharsis. So for all intents and purposes, yes, it's definitely like real and uh, very helpful for many, many people. But for, from a practical standpoint, if there is a, a, a demon or I mean this, I, I and by the way, I heard uh, a great podcast about a paranormal experience in Pennsylvania. It was a local legislator uh, who had bought uh, a house he wanted since his childhood. Uh, it's called the Brownsville, Pennsylvania incident, something like that. And um, and yeah, uh, he ended up. It was a 15-year battle, but eventually they were able to get the spirit out of this home. And so, Corey, from, from your standpoint, what do you think it is that that, that spirit is reacting to uh, that, oh. that causes it to say they hear the ritual that, that Leah described, something that isn't part of modern day culture, but was maybe written. I don't even know how old those those uh, modalities are, or that protocol. That uh, What do you think about that? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, obviously, I've read a lot. I, I tend to think that it's it's probably not the words that uh, that it's the it's the emotion or the the energy that is emanating you know from that person that probably you know acts as a repellent to uh, like a negative entity um, if that makes you know if that makes like sense. a wasp it's a wasp spray basically yeah the the throwing of holy water but but before we get into that estimate of the situation Tom is in the joint. For Corey's surprise party, baby. Hey, what's up, brother? You're on mute. Bienvenidos, Tom. Oh, he's, he's muted. muted he's muted. There we go. I can. His mic is not connected. That's why. So there we go. Uh, Tom, there he is. What's up, guys? Hey, hey welcome. You what's feeling up, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh. It's I've been sick all week, so I just got my voice back. Um, so I mean, happy to be here. I've been listening the last like ten minutes, uh, dude. I haven't seen you, Corey. I haven't seen you in like a couple months now, since the yeah. last one. Yeah, December. Yeah, December. And I know we met uh, in October and had a good time. 
think yeah, both yeah. nights we stayed out till four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and I have your uh, and I have your uh, your the book that you gave me, which I think is like a phenomenal what you guys did, uh, like with that era of ufology and you turned it into a comic book. It's really oh, you fun. read it? Oh yeah, yeah. You gave me a copy. You gave me a copy. It's really well done. Yeah, there it is. I've, I'm in the doghouse with Tom. I bought one, but I haven't read it yet. But I, I've been admiring it. It keeps me company every day. Thank you, desk. dude. I would go to these conventions and like literally give them out to people. I'm like, please read this. It's. I think it's really good. <laughs> yeah. It is. Thank you so much for for doing that. It was so awesome to meet you there. By the way, you look like the artistic version of Rocky Balboa with the hoodie on. I'm waiting for you to go jog and maybe yeah. hit a side of beef in the freezer. <laughs> dude, uh, it, it's just a. To um to uh deter away from the fact that I like I'm so run down I'm like I'll oh, just put a hoodie yeah. on have a little yes. coffee and uh, I'll be good. I um, him my soup, cold right? when I interviewed him. Yes, yeah, matzo <laughs> yeah. soup. When I interviewed right. him, I gave him my cold through the microphone. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Deb, come on! We told you stop, <laughs> stop sharing like that. All right. Um, I don't know if you guys, Deb, did you, before we go, did you have anything to say about exorcism? Anything interesting? And then we can, we can yeah. move on. Well, yes, I mean, obviously it has a, a purpose and it, you can go either way with it, that it's really exercising demons or, you know, you could go with placebo effect, which is, you know, a psychological concept <clears throat> that once you believe a thing has been done or is working, that's all you need. Which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing either, because if it's a spiritual problem, that would be effective as well. Yeah, I will try I will try to yeah. find this episode for you, but just to and, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Corey. I'll try to find this episode for you. But there were essentially multiple members of the family. A lot of different things happened. Again, it was a, a 15 year battle. They even found where there were things there was a sealed uh, kind of like behind a stairwell, there was a wall and there were things that were found inside the wall. They brought in a medium. The medium is the one who cracked the case. The medium is the one who sort of gave them the tools to fight and said, if you look inside this wall, I think you'll find something. And they broke into that wall and found things inside the house that were in a sealed wall. Mm. Uh, so this spirit was quite powerful, had driven people out of the house members of the family. Uh, and then finally, uh, I think they said on the last day, they felt it's, it's kind of light go out and they never had a problem again after that. But 15 years is <laughs> a long time. Yeah. I'll find that podcast and share it with everybody. Uh, it was on uh, unsolved mysteries podcast. That's where uh, I heard this. So if you guys know that, obviously everyone knows the show. So did you have anything, Tom? Do you want to? Yeah, no, add? I, I have yes, a sir. question. Um, so Leah mentioned something that like, uh, you know, you have a lot of these, uh, like these spiritualistic rituals, right? That um, that oftentimes take a mediator, like a shaman or somebody like that. And like, according to what you said, like the theory that this is all just to help navigate uh, an internal landscape of sorts, right? Do you and the rest of the panel, do you think that that's strictly true? Or are there things that are outside that internal landscape? Like for instance, when people call on guides or something like that, that point them in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Do they exist outside of that? Or is that still kind of part of the internal landscape? You know, it's, it's a mind fuck if you think about it, but um, it could go both ways. I don't know. When, when you say navigate what? Just to make sure, I know, is you talking about an, a spiritual 
encounter in a home? What what is the context of this? Like, let's say you um you uh you have an ayahuasca ceremony, for instance, and you have a shaman come in, and everyone takes the brew, and everyone goes on their individual spiritual journey. But I I think like there there's an argument right to be made that like all of that takes place inside your your mind or your soul, ah, whatever you want to call it, wow. or even like even the guides themselves, like they, that they exist within you. But I'm like wondering, can they also exist outside of you and almost kind of um, be like a separate entity or separate force from all of that? And I don't know if there's room for those two theories to to play well with each other or not. But like, I always wondered if it's if it's all in here or if there's actually something out there that's communicating with me in here. Mm. You know, who wants to take that first? You want that, Corey? Go ahead. Yeah, um, that that's something that's uh and that's where I like diverge from, you know, technical research and you get into like, you know, theology, but I, I think all is one. I really, I really do. I really do think that all is one that, uh, and I want to try to quote Neville Goddard, uh, uh, all that you behold, although, although it appears without, it is within, it is within of which this world, uh, is but a shadow. And, um, I'm a firm believer that we don't live in a materialistic universe. Uh, it, it is, it is thought, it is consciousness. We are manifesting this. So uh, what those entities, yeah, I think they're a part of the same thing that we're a part of that. Maybe they have more bandwidth than we have. And we have very narrow like bandwidth. Putting it. Um, and I think that, yeah, to a degree we're sleepwalkers here. We have very, you know, very narrow perception. It's been working for 55 years, Corey. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Dan, and then we'll go Leah and then myself. I don't know. I'm, I, it's, I have to go with a personal experience where I was shown that a lot of the things that are outside of us are actually from within. And if you read anything on perception, all of our world is really from you know, things within um, our brain makes the world around us. The world that you see may not be the same world that I see. So I'm on the fence with that one. I can't really give you a solid answer, but there's a possibility that things are a little more complicated than we realize. Leah prime time. Yeah. So um, I, I will say that probably my most closely held unconventional belief is that consciousness is not fully local. I think a substantial amount of consciousness is basically part of a field that we engage with and transceive. Um, you know, and, and it's very prescient that we're talking about this. I was just reading Bernardo Kostrup's Meaning and Absurdity this morning, which wow. if anyone hasn't read that, I think is probably one of the best works on understanding and interpreting anomalous phenomena. And he draws really heavily on a lot of the kind of current idealists like Donald Hoffman. Basically, um, saying that the best we can have is this kind of like weak objectivity where we can have things occur that all of us largely agree with and perceive similarly like our material and physical realities um but that that is the best we can do that there's still this interpretive lens going on that interfaces between us and what's actually actually going on around us um, and, and Donald Hoffman uses the example of when you use your computer, you're engaging with the icons and software on the computer. You're not actually engaging directly with the computer. And I think that that's sort of um, when we think to, to loop this back around to what we were originally talking about, about is this all happening internally? Um, I don't think it's all necessarily happening or being generated internally. A lot of it is likely exogenous or outside of ourselves. 
But I think um, the emotional uh, and sort of psychological experience and intensities associated with this is an internal experience. So um, in that sense, like getting away from the anxiety or fear or despair that may accompany um, someone as they're going through an emergence of some kind. Um, I think that that is an internal reality. It's not something that's happening outside of the person. That's interesting. Think, uh, that's interesting. Go ahead. You, you know, that's all Leah does is interesting. That's what she specializes in. Um, so I think of this kind of like, I'm going to use some computer analogies, like in the air force, you know, we have these, uh, when you walk up to the wall and you're going to plug this ethernet cable into your computer, um, port security is turned on. So if that port hasn't been open, you can plug into there and there's information coming from a server. But if that port's not on, you're not going to get anything until they basically put the name of your port, uh, your computer, your Mac address onto that port. Then then you'll you'll start to receive data and you're connected to this larger web. So for, you know, this shaman, you know, this this uh, individual maybe who's uh you know, bringing the ayahuasca, who's going to bring you that experience, uh, that's outside. And then inside, you may have your own, also your own internal port that is either open or not open. So some people will open that port and they're able to connect with the spirit world. We call them mediums. I consider them heroes because they are able to bring comfort to people who are in an extremely stressful situation with someone who is on another plane, they can't connect to them. The phenomenon can connect to that person and move things around in their physical world and terrorize them and make them feel fear and make them feel something as soon as they walk in their dwelling. And then you have another person that comes in that is able to, their port is open and maybe my port, you know, it's, I could open that port. It maybe if I knew how, you know, and maybe I'm that Bigfoot who mind speaks with people. I don't know. I don't mean me personally, but I mean, there's some Bigfoots that seem to mind speak. Some don't. So, you know, some of them may have that port open and some that ports turned off. And then, of course, you have the uh, that uh, that that port at the wall, who's the shaman who is is coming in and, and putting stimuli, which could be in the form of ayahuasca. It could be in the form of ritual uh, that is then. Uh, coming into you and creating an experience that may be very positive, may not. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. I, I think of uh, mediums and so forth are these people that are are uh, able to connect. And I also think that depending upon what's going on with you, you may be open to an experience or you may be closed off. Someone's trying to hypnotize you and you just won't let it happen. You have your door closed. You know, your, your arms are folded. So that's kind of how I think of it, uh, Tom. Yeah, you know that that idea of like closing yourself off to the experience. I wasn't a big believer in that. I felt like if something was going to happen to you, it was going to happen. Then I did do an ayahuasca ceremony with two of my friends, and uh, one friend was very open to it, and the other one was very closed off, and he came from a financial background, like a finance background. And I just remember that uh, the friend who was open to it was definitely in it, had the experience uh, different from mine, but like you know, we can relate to it. The one, the friend who wasn't into it, who was so closed off, and I think like two hours in, he's like, I want to go home. I'm like, dude, we cannot go home right now. There's people throwing up everywhere. Like, they're going to call the cops, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but he could not get into it. And he took the same dose. If not, I made him take another one. Well, I mean, I didn't make him, but like I, I suggested take another one. Maybe you'll get into it. He did. And ayahuasca is a very powerful, you know, analog. It's not something you can just take and be like, all right, well, that's good. I'm going to go to work. But he could not get into the experience. And that was my first like real life world case scenario. Like, wow, he closed himself off and was not able to connect to whatever it was that everybody else is connecting to. And ever since then, like I've been a big believer, you close yourself off, it's not gonna I happen. Have, I, I have something I wanna say here, which is I'm super fascinated by how the experience of aesthetic chill relates to people's openness to um, sort of awe and wonderment. And I see this actually, I, I when I interviewed Mick West the other night, that was the question I asked him, is if he ever experiences aesthetic chill, because there's a relationship between that and um, awe and transcendence, where people who don't experience aesthetic chill tend to also have internal um, frameworks that are extremely... Um, materialist in nature and like not connected to religion or divinity or this overwhelming sense of awe or wonderment that people have when they see nature or art or hear certain kinds of music. Um, and similarly, I have this pet theory that that also relates to how people experience psychedelics like ayahuasca and psilocybin, where if they are not already inclined to experience that aesthetic chill or frizzin, um, in turn, those experiences kind of lack that spiritual or divine dimension that is otherwise, you know, pretty common for when people uh, participate in those ceremonies. That, that yeah, kind of brings us back. Uh, Go ahead, sir. You know, Go ahead. To, that kind of brings us back to are these things, you know, occurring, um, you know, inside or outside? You know, it, it made me think of like the double slit experiment, the absorber effect. We know mm -hmm. that uh, our observation of the universe uh, interacts with us, like the universe kind of, uh, can mold to our intentions or our expectations. Um, that's interesting that somebody would take ayahuasca and not, uh, feel it. I, it almost makes me want I know. to ask if they have like a gallbladder issue or something, or they're not metabolized ayahuasca <laughs> because it's kind of like Get that gallbladder. If you were at the ayahuasca ceremony with Tom, get that gallbladder checked at your cab. <laughs> medical and, and you can talk to deb if you need to Absolutely yeah sure. maybe he got the bad batch or something you know <laughs> i don't know he, he he's very straight laced and you know um i don't it's just really strange because again like any any of these analogs you take i was always under the impression that you're gonna you're in for a ride no matter what you don't have a choice you know so 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 tom if, if you have you know that that on your laptop you know you have that ethernet port but if that's if that's not turned on like there's a malfunction with that ethernet port, then even though you've got a live port on the wall, got good ethernet connection to the wall, but then you plug in and nothing happens. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really uh, that's good what point. I'm guessing, you know, sorry, all um, these computer analogies, what's going on here, Deb? Well, first of all, let me say hello to Nicole Ness Nelson right here. She said, bless and thank you. Thank hey, you Nicole. for coming and joining us. Hey, uh, obviously you're a Corey fan. So are we, he's got great hair, uh, Chase <laughs> Howard. Uh, is there Sorry, Chase. Chase. Chase, what's up, buddy? Uh, and and Shannon says here, what does she say? The what Watseka wonder story makes me think about there being several explanations for things like possession. Oh, we're back to possession. I don't know where Deb's going. It, I, it, you know what? I'm, the, the floor is dead. So wherever Deb wants to go. 
I guess I just wanted to talk about what you're excited about with this. I mean, it's a pretty broad question, but, you know, obviously there are a million things. What are you excited about right now? And I love the fact, by the way, that you're writing notes as we talk. Me? <laughs> yeah, it looks like you're writing notes. Yeah, I'm writing all kinds of notes because <laughs> you guys are hitting but... on all kinds of things. I... What am I excited about in terms of like current, uh, like like what's happening currently? Yes. What are you excited about? What What is giving you um, that aesthetic chill right now when it comes to UFOs? <laughs> he may not actually yeah. experience it. Only about like two thirds of people do. I I am not familiar with the aesthetic chill. Uh, so I'm it's have to... all. It's all. Yeah. I, I'm in a I'm in a constant state of awe. I you know. People talk about meditating. I actually, you know, don't meditate. It's I don't know if I could sit still that long. It, whatever is going on with me, and like if you look at my Twitter feed and you see like why is he posting all this stuff, I I can't tell you. Those things come from outside of me. I, I don't know how to say it, uh, but I it's like an into it's like an intuition. So what am I excited about? I'm excited about watching uh, other people come into their own. I'm excited about watching people. Uh, realize that they don't have to live their life out of fear. You know, fear shouldn't be your motivator. I'm, I'm excited to see people realize that we truly are brothers and sisters, that we are all connected, that, you know, we, that we do have a, you know, a common, a common goal, you know, as like a species. I'm excited to see people cut down their barriers and, you know, open their minds. Um, I, I see that happening, even though there's a lot of bad things happening, you know, um, across the world but on a personal level i see so many people doing amazing things and that's what really really inspires me um it, I, it's not about me uh that's why i try to be anonymous but i'm really about pushing other people to ask questions um not so they can get objective you know answers they can go find this document so they can find the subjective answers within themselves and i think ultimately that's what all of us really want um is to is to have an answer about you know who we are and what's our place in this you know this this kind of uh you know the scheme that we find ourselves in um i have to ahead. say i feel like i'm in that same place too corey like i'm went from finding all the information going this is amazing now i know it and everyone needs to think about it so i appreciate that yeah um I just like on Twitter, I, I, I like getting conversations started. You know, it's not that I don't have any answers. It's all conjecture. Um, and of course, you know, I've, I've read all the same books and watched the same documentaries as everyone else. Um, but I really just like to put out different points of opinion. And then I love to see like those threads kind of blossom on their own and other people hop in. Maybe they start arguing, you know. Uh, but I, yeah, I just love to see that, you know, kind of. I uh, want to galvanize, you know, people with, you know, maybe something that they haven't heard before. So I try to find, you know, rare, you know, rare pieces of, uh, you know, UFO data to share. Um, but my ultimate goal, and I'm just kind of going on here to see we're running out of time, is... Uh, no, you're okay. Keep keep going. Is, you know, pop, is when I got on UFO Twitter, one of the first things I noticed is that there was no healthy discourse. If, if someone disagreed with you, uh, they were pretty quick to bash yeah. you. And I also saw that um, that there was a lack of kind of data out there. People, you know, they weren't quoting things. They were just like, oh, I thought I heard this and I heard that. And they would argue. And too many times I would see two people uh, who actually agree with one another, but 
they've used different ways to frame what, what they're talking about, you know, maybe different, you know, different words. So I said, if I'm going to do anything on Twitter, I have to uh, promote healthy discourse, you know, uh, positive interactions. So that's one of my goals uh, is to, if I'm going to have an interaction with you, it's going to be positive, you know, even if, you know, even if we disagree. Um, and uh, so try to cultivate that. And I've seen that a little bit that more and more people are like, thank you, my friend. You know, I really appreciate that. So just trying to, uh, yeah, just trying to, trying to be an example to show, you know, that we all can treat each other a lot better. And these conversations we want to have about UFOs can be a lot easier um, if we all just be a little bit more open-minded and, you know, get rid of some of the, some of the barriers we've placed around these topics. Because we're Corey. all trying. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, do you think so? What do you think it's going to take to galvanize the rest of the public, so to speak, outside of UFO Twitter to kind of be like, oh, okay, let's take a serious look at this? Because right now, if you, you do a poll, like most people be like, yeah, they might be out there or whatever, but they're unaware of, I guess, the legacy of like a, 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 of the cover up and as well as investigations going on for like, you know, 75 years. So, like, I wonder, do you? Do you think it's going to be an event? Do you think it's going to be somebody or, or, or maybe maybe a podcast blows it wide open? I don't know. You know, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I really struggle with that. Um, I, I can't imagine I, even if we did have the infamous White House lawn landing, people would still say that CGI. I wasn't there. Um, I don't think there's anything that's going to be able to convince everybody. Um, all of us, we've seen enough. You know, we're we're convinced. I also think that, you know, the world and especially the American population is desensitized to this because it's been there in the background th their whole life. Yeah, their whole life there's been movies. So we've always known that it's there. And when you go to check up on it, they say, ah, oh, it could be, maybe it's not. So I, I think people uh, are really open to it, but I don't think they're ready to incorporate it as a part of the reality. It's kind of like Santa Claus or something. They're like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it, it, could be well. I won't say Santa Claus. I'm, I'm saying it's something that they put out as a as a possibility because it's been you know it's a part of our culture. I personally think on an individual level is what it takes. I think that you have to have individual initiative to be curious enough, uh, and then you go out on your journey and you find out something that satisfies that satisfies you that there's you know something beyond. Uh, but I don't think there's yeah, a uh, uh, one way to, to do it, unfortunately. This I think is, that's awesome. Uh, sorry, galvanize on an individual level, you know, like that, that's, that's a pretty cool thought. Well, that, and that, that, that's how we're doing it. Right. But, but what, what Tom is asking about is mass acceptance and for mass acceptance, you're going to need a mass event. So the white house lawn thing, forget about the location. The location could be a parking lot in Des Moines, a Walmart parking lot. The, the, what it what it's going to take is where all the news cameras are trained on some sort of a craft hovering over a city local affiliates have come out so no matter which channel you change your you know your channel to whether you're watching this cable news or that cable news or this local news or that local news you're going to see oh my god there's a craft hovering above a parking lot in des moines that's when you in order to get mass acceptance you need a mass event and anything short of that, somebody standing up on a podium saying it is probably not going to do it. 
because not everybody even watches the news or watches C-SPAN even. So, or would, or is going to say, well, I don't trust that government because it's that administration and not the administration I like. So there's that. That's, that's my thought on that. But I wanted to get that's good. two other, yeah. two other things that, 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 and then we got to get to Leah primetime that, that, um, uh, relate to what Tom said earlier about what's within that's going to enable you to have an experience and related to Bigfoot. I'm very excited about this guy coming on named Terry Wendell from Rock Hill Bigfoot in South Carolina. And when he went on his first expedition, he broke away from the group at night to go to an area where they were picking up trash from loser campers who will leave their litter in the woods. And he and this woman went back to that area where they were uh, picking up trash and bagging it. And this Native American woman said, so you want to uh, you want to see them because they're here. Right. Right in that wood line. So she starts talking to them. And I don't know if they're making noises or whatever. And he goes, I don't see them. How do you see them? She goes, you're not supposed to see them yet. But go ahead and introduce yourself. So he introduces himself as, hi, my name's Terry. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I'm not here to invade your space. I'm not here to cause you any harm. I'm just really interested in your the way that you live and the way that uh, you go about surviving in the forest and just want to learn about you. And so they leave and they go back to their tents. And that night he feels something push into the fabric of his tent and touch him with a big finger. He had a one man tent. So one man tent, you know, you're not far away from the fabric, no matter where you're laying in that tent. Um, and he was just like, Oh my God, but he hurt. And you could see my camera shaking here as it was walking up to his tent. So he kind of knew what was out there. Um, anyway, so it's within, you know, are you ready to have an experience? You know, uh, I want to, I did have a sighting when I was, when I was a kid and I haven't had anything since then. Nathan hasn't had a sighting. So are we going to have a sighting? Can we manifest that? And the only thing I think of here, uh, thank you, Delta, and welcome uh, for uh, joining in and uh, giving, giving some love for our friend Corey. I wrote, the journey to within never ends. It is not to manifest a specific event. So we're constantly trying to evolve and to evolve, but I don't think we can evolve to create an event. Now, Obviously, James Iandoli has a protocol where he can make an event happen, but it's a collective. It's a collective thing, right? It's the CE5 protocol. But I think if we just keep looking to evolve the way that Corey was talking about within and just keep improving our understanding of other humans and how they see things and try to be empathetic to uh, how they're dealing with the world and what's happened in their life and in their experience, is the most we can do. And then if an event happens, it happens, but I'm not sure we can manifest a specific event. And with that, let me go to prime time. Yeah, sure. So one of my questions for you is something I like to ask everyone who's on this kind of journey of exploration and discovery, which is if you could talk a little bit how about how your views and ideas have changed over time. Um, you know, tremendously. Um, it's, I would say it's made me, it's made me more human um, because the, the phenomena, studying the phenomena has forced uh, me, as it probably does a lot of people, to uh, 
to walk away from, you know, a lot of, you know, our, you know, if we have, you know, fundamentalistic beliefs, um, you know, if, yeah, I mean, it forces you to kind of reframe how you, how you see the world. Um, it, so I guess in short, it's made me a better person. I researched this to the point to where I realized the only thing that I could truly do is to be a better person in the here and now. Uh, that, that's that's kind of like about, that's what my takeaway is, and I love researching it. But um, every chance that I get to have an interaction with another person, you know, that's um, you know that's like a sacred, special you know, moment for me. Um, so I don't know if that you know answers your question, but uh, as a part of like the awakening process, yeah, I, I've I found so much more studying this, you know, more than like nuts and bolts. I found out. That uh, you know, again, we are we are uh, created, and uh, you start having synchronicities with people, and those are kind of hard. Uh, those are kind of hard to understand if you're if you have this materialistic way of seeing the universe. It really it's confounding. Like how does how do these things happen? So once you have some of those experiences, yeah, it forces you to um, step outside of your comfort zone a little bit, and you don't see yourself as you know as a black guy or as an American. You're like, all right, I'm a being with a b other bunch of beings having a conscious experience, you know, and I don't want to have anything to do with them having a bad conscious experience, you know. So, I'm, yeah, so that's that's how it's helped me. That's such a beautiful answer. Like, Corey, every time you're you're giving a response on this show, I'm thinking like this is. Like you were such an inspiration for me last summer because I saw you as just this emblem of really good faith conversation and also someone that rather than prescriptively answering people's questions, just did the yeoman's work of sharing resources and sharing materials to provide people like their own path to navigate. I just like, I just, I feel like every answer you're giving just my, my respect and uh, affection for you just grows. It's awesome. Oh, thanks, Leah. That means Leah. Am I saying, and I'm saying it, Leah, my wife was like, I think her name's Leah. So I was telling oh, her. Oh, yeah, name. it's Leah. But honestly, like, I just, <laughs> I, I like gloss right over it because it's so common that people call me Leah. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, we're all friends here. It sounds it's cool. cool. I mean, yeah. Two different princess Leia. Star Wars. You can blame I, Star Wars. I have never heard this before. Oh, my God. <laughs> First time. First time. Yes. Let's go to estimate of the situation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, one thing about uh, meeting Corey in person is like he is a hulking figure. So <laughs> you kind of walk up to him like, oh, man, like, you know, he's a little intimidating. But then like once you start talking, it's it's actually pretty down to earth. And, you know, I, I know you have a background in the military, right? Uh, yeah. Can you talk about that and how that's shaped your perspective on the phenomenon like itself? Like I know you're talking about it earlier, how this might look like a certain way because of that background. And like, I would love to just hear more about that. Yeah. So I had researched, read so many UFO books. I remember I was doing my security clearance. I was like, no way they're going to give me a clearance, man. And I'm like, this guy, <laughs> this guy is such a conspiracy nut. You know, we're not going to let him in the military. So I remember like telling friends like, Hey man, like don't tell them like, I'm like a UFO nut, man. They're going to think I'm crazy. So what really, uh, surprised me so I, I get in the military you know my first assignment was with uh, f-16s in masawa japan and um you know i'm just a young airman so it's not something you ever bring up 
I, I was with a, a major one day and I was uh, sitting at the, the operations desk with him. We were launching F-16s and I knew that he flew the F-117 out of Tonopah and I knew he flew when it was black, right? So, um, and he would talk about, you know, flying out to Tonopah and being out there for a week and not telling his family that he was flying this, you know, stealth crap. And I said, so what do you think about Roswell, Major? And uh, he, he kind of got red and he turned toward me and he's like, they told us what happened. They told us. And I said, well, what did they tell us? It was a weather balloon. And then he, you know, went back to his PC and I said, oh, well, he got, he got the briefing um, not to talk about certain things. During my whole time in the military, I never saw anything that led me to believe that there were UFOs or aliens or that anybody was trying to hide anything at all. Uh, outside of, you know, some of the programs that were read into, which, you know, which, you know, um, you know, keep us, you know, keep our country safe. So that was surprising to me. And I never got, nobody ever sat me down and said, don't talk about UFOs, or if you see a UFO, don't report it. So there was like no protocols. Um, when I went to get my top secret clearance, I really thought they were going to, you know, come down on me because that's when they look more granular into your background. Um, but no, it, you know, it never, it never came up, um, as a, as a topic. And that led me to believe that they were really good at what they do because I know there was a reality to it. So I said that, you know, th this must be absolutely separate from the regular air force and, you know, probably my rank and file, you know, were in the regular air force doesn't have anything to do with it. So if you ask them, they're probably telling you the truth. There's nothing to see. But then, so like when you see some of these events, uh, around the world like over the last like 75 years or so do you have like a, a specific lens at which you view it as like oh this might be what they're doing or this might be what like a reconnaissance mission or is it beyond all of that you know like yeah that's yeah i just based on what i've read i do think that there is uh there's there's a team you know there's there's a team of professionals who probably deploy deploy globally uh, to mitigate these things, whether it's somebody saw a UFO sighting and they want you to think that you saw a military, her you know, helicopter. So now they go fly a bunch of helicopters, uh, or there could be operations where they want people for whatever reason to think that they did see a UFO and maybe they, yeah. they do that too. So I think there's a lot of operations that we're not aware of that are designed to, uh, um, control our perceptions, you know, like uh, we've been socially engineered, if you will. And I also think that there's a long, you know, a long-term uh, acclimatization program that's been going on, you know, probably since, you know, the day the earth stood still uh, came out. You can go back to that movie and still some of the themes that we're talking about today, you'll find in that film. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's a big, uh, there's a big charade kind of going on, if, if you will. I think there are a lot of people who do know exactly what's going on. It's part of their job to maintain the perception. Does, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, um, from my perspective, I had 4,000 hours of flying and never saw a thing uh, on three different continents, you know, with the Air Force and never saw anything other than my sighting when I was like 15, 14 or 15 years old. I think it was the beginning of 10th grade. So from that perspective, the, the other thing that Tom asked about how it shapes you, one of the things I like about being part of this community is that to be part of the Air Force, you have to really harden yourself emotionally. 
you can't be somebody that is going to cry at something that you see. You might be overseas and see starving animals. You may be, you see a lot of things that you don't want to see. You may see dead people in some cases. You may be part of a gunship crew that makes people dead. Um, so I love coming to this community because I can open up now and I can feel these emotions and see people who are struggling with everyday things and now be open to that where I wouldn't have been open. I don't think during, uh, during the course of my career, because it's not, uh, it's not healthy for you to be that way. You have to be able to toughen up in order to do that job. The other thing about disclosure, I would say is that, um, I'll repeat kind of what Jim Semivan said. They certainly know more than what we know, uh, meaning the USG, but they don't know everything. And the conundrum for them, as he said, and if you want to listen to a great interview, and, and I'm not somebody who's always promoting cab stuff. I think Stuart Davis's interview with Jim Semivan was even better than our interview with Jim Semivan. Uh, and I thought we did a great interview, but I thought his was better. And he said, they're at a loss to be able to explain something that they don't understand because as a as a person who's responsible whether you own a store and somebody a customer comes up and asks you what's going on in your store and you you can't explain to them what's going on they're like you don't even know what's going on in your own store i'm not in it i don't need to shop here from their perspective it's very and not that's not to say i agree with ruining people's careers with lying, with threatening people, with intimidating people, with making experiments on people that are immoral, with all these different things that we all know, everybody on this panel knows that have happened. So that's not excusing or saying, I agree with that. But understanding and agreeing are two different things. And for them, it's very difficult for them to say, yes, we know there's something out there. We don't control it. We can't control it. It can outfly us. That's not something you stand up on a podium as uh, somebody who uh, asserts dominion over the skies of the United States. And in fact, globally, if necessary, you don't you don't make that statement because it makes you look inept. It makes you look weak. And the Russians would feast on that, as would the Chinese. That's very well said. Well said. I agree. So I wanted to ask you if you think your heroes, which I can identify are, of course, John Keel, Jack Foley, Jacques Foley, and then Charles Fort are going to be validated in the future. If you think we're on the path of validating these people that have been keeping track of this well, the phenomenon. Yeah, yes, I do. I think they're going to be about validated uh, and i think a, a lot of researchers you know uh, you could throw you know grant cameron in there you know richard dolan but specifically keel and valet because they they really uh you know valet for a long time the ufo community was really upset with him because they wanted uh you know a nuts and bolts approach to aliens and what planet are they coming from and valet you know was talking about you know uh multiple dimensions and uh, crypto terrestrials and ultra terrestrials, uh, just like John Keel, who was talking about the super super spectrum, which is this you know this field of of energy that we're kind of swimming in. So, uh, ten years ago, not, I would say less than half of the community really 
had made their way to consciousness. Um, and now I see on UFO Twitter, it's pretty uh, ubiquitous. Everyone knows that there's something that, uh, that, that's, that's fundamental at the conscious level that's connected to UFOs. So I think that uh, they're, yeah, they're being validated uh, more and more. Not that they had the answers, but I think that they were probably closest uh, to trying to describe you know, what, this, what this might be. And we got 10 minutes to wrap it up. So let's go with Lee and Prime Time. Awesome. Um, so I, I'm going to ask another question, which is if there are any particular cases or subjects that you keep coming back to that have continued to captivate you over time. Oh, really good question. Um, definitely the Nazis. You know, what happened to the Nazis after World War II? You know, I'm a big fan of uh, Peter Lavenda. And, uh, you know, Joseph Farrell has written a lot of good mm -hmm. books. So there's Dude, no question. Lavenda is amazing. Who's that? Lavenda? Lavenda, yeah. yeah. I'm a big oh, fan. Oh, gosh. Uh, Sinister Forces, which really ties. He's a real a one. Yeah. I mean, I think he went to Bobby Kennedy's funeral when he was like a kid. He's, he dressed up as a bishop and snuck into the to the, <laughs> to the, the, the church. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. What was the question again? <laughs> All good. The question was whether or, or which cases or subjects you keep returning to, like the ones yeah. that continue to, um, you know, enthrall you, basically. So definitely the Nazis, definitely what was going on with the occult, you know, the, the different occult societies, you know, Theosophy, uh, the Fool Society, you know, Al Aleister Crowley, um, you know, the, the, the Babylon, you know, ritual uh, that they did out in the desert. Um, some of our programs, you know, what kind of programs um, did the U.S. government, you know, put into place to uh, to mitigate, you know, the effects of the phenomena? Um, so MK Ultra, you know, comes to mind. Um, and then I would say one of my favorite UFO case itself is probably Lonnie, Lonnie Zamora. So this is out in I think mm. 1965 in Socorro, New Mexico. It was it was uh, it's just a really credible case. Uh, it, you know, we have a credible eyewitness, you have ground traces, uh, you have the Air Force is on site, you know, within 20, 30 minutes, you have pictures. Um, it's not far, it wasn't far from the um, White Sands missile range. Mm -hmm. so, it, it, so it was a great case. And I, I'm interested in it because I think it could have been an experimental aircraft. Um, just, uh, or they, the, the aliens were trying to, they, they missed their landing spot at White Sands. But uh, no, it's a very interesting case. And that's, hopefully one day we, we find out, you know, what, um, what he saw, you know, if it was an experimental craft or if it was uh, something outside. Yeah, it's interesting because what they describe, it doesn't, the propulsion system doesn't sound like, uh, doesn't sound like uh, what we know to be the kind of tech that doesn't, emit you know ir light that doesn't have thermodynamic properties that we can visually see however flying something that looks like a saucer is much much more difficult from an aerodynamic because now we're talking about an aircraft and when we talk about something like a tic tac or we talk about uh the what ryan graves saw the, we're not talking about an aircraft because it doesn't require interaction with the air to operate meaning it doesn't need ailerons and rudders and elevators to go up and down and so to fly a craft like that that would be saucer shaped which is what he described a round disc 
it would it's kind of like would take like a propulsion system like a harrier jet it would be very noisy you would see jet blasts coming down and the amount of fuel that you would use to move something like that people don't understand how much energy it takes to hover a helicopter well yeah. if you're going to do that from white sands to scoro or even albuquerque to scoro men it's going to be a flying gas tank i don't know if there's going to be any room for anybody inside knowing yeah. that these engines are using you know uh you know 5000 pounds an hour of gas or something like that you know so <laughs> anyway uh you know i, I was going to say i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead good i was going to say i remember when i was in the military they told me it was like 6500 an hour in gas just to fly it you know an f16 um but back to the socorro there actually there actually was um uh a crater a blast like a small blast yeah. crater so when that craft took off uh so it did seem like sort of a hybrid craft and um i am in the school that i do take it for granted that we do have these technologies i don't know how far advanced but i think that is a big part of the cover up i absolutely do think that we have these technologies if you go back to like t towns and brown um uh, i i think that they discovered some of these um technologies in the 20s 30s and 40s and but they're so uh -huh. revolutionary uh how do you incorporate them into your into the world um navigating so. is another thing you know you you hop on board a craft that is made by some sort of a, another intelligence okay how do we navigate you know how do you you know how do you modulate power in order to hover in order to take off in order to move vertically there's a lot of things that we take for granted that you see in aircraft do but if you board something that was created by another intelligence you have to understand how to direct it to do these things how do you navigate do they have google maps up there in you know in 60 64 i mean i so there's just there's a um, lot of things you got a 19 so you got now you need to fire it up so you got a 1980 you go to the mm. cash landrum 1980 is actually the same month as rendlesham forest mm -hmm. and uh you know those at vicky landrum uh you know colby and betty cash they saw a craft it was diamond shaped it did have a thrust coming out of the bottom and i think even rick dodi said that that was one of our et craft that we had reverse engineered and what's interesting about that case is that not only did they suffer from radiation you know poisoning they you know they had terrible burns but there was about uh, 20 to 23 double rotor craft uh, uh, helicopters that were flying with that craft in texas so that was a uh, that was a big part and you know, Hey, for me, Corey, yeah, hey, Corey, you you be involved in in operations. You know what it takes to launch 23 aircraft. A lot. If you have 23 flyable aircraft and 23 crews ready to to board and take off at relatively the same time, uh when when I've seen that happen at bases like Little Rock, you're talking that's weeks worth of coordination and maintenance to make that kind of an effort happen. So I I hear that, but and you know what, Rick Doty is a is a friend of mine. Uh I like and respect him a lot uh and we may we may disagree on some things and also I would have to pick his brain on that specific case which I I actually talked to him 3 weeks ago and we just he was just like so what do you do for a living and he's just kind of like he was like interviewing me so anyway <laughs> anyway uh um, cut his yeah, mustache they, I saw you, you guys giving him a hard time for cutting his mustache by the way I love I love it man I love some Rick Doty but you know what we got to give uh to get Tom in there and then we'll go with uh Cabby goodbyes. Yeah, I I guess I just would offer like a, a domestic example of, of what you were talking about like how we take some of these technologies for granted that we might have had them. 
Um, we know that new um, what, the B was it B fifty one. Uh, the new this the Spirit Bomber that just came out, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an yep. iteration of some might say the Horton's flying wing, but also Northrop. Yeah. So the, Northrop was also developing it in nineteen forty seven, and like aerodynamically, that craft was was ahead of its time. You know, the reason they weren't able to implement it, both Germany and and, and us over here in the late 40s, was because they weren't able to keep it level until, like, a, you were able to, like, install a computer, from what I understand, like an algorithm, that would keep it level as it would travel. So, we, yeah, so we we are, most of the time, we're ahead of the, our, our time. We're waiting to implement that technology somehow in a way that makes it feasible. So I just thought it was a really cool contrast that, like, you know, domestically that that's an issue as well. But like, God, like, what if we had something that wasn't from here? We understood the benefits and how, like, why it works the way it does, but we just can't implement it. Like, technologically, right. limited. So right. I just think it's fascinating. You know what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to have I'll have an offline. I'll have a three-way conversation myself, Corey and Tom. So we talk about aviation aerodynamics and I can sort of explain to you how that works. And then you'll understand why the flying wing is really, it's an aircraft. It's, it's an airplane. It yeah. works off of Bernoulli's theorem. In order to fly something that doesn't have ailerons and in, you know, and an elevator, then that's when you start getting into something that doesn't follow Bernoulli's yeah. theorem of, uh, as velocity increases, pressure decreases. That's how flight occurs. So we'll, you and I, we can have a, a separate conversation and I'll kind of tell you how amazing some of these craft are that people are seeing and why I think that we haven't cracked that code yet of something that can fly in ignorance of those, uh, those uh, in ignorance of Bernoulli's theorem and, and uh, Newton's first three laws of motion. Debs, let's go with uh, Cabby goodbyes, my friend. Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, Corey, thank you so much for coming to talk to us and being one of my conference BFFs. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think one thing I wanted to touch on because you know we're we all have like you know endearment towards you is that we all have different nicknames for you, and I wish we had time to go through them. My nickname for you is Jaquiel because I mixed your names together. <laughs> I just I wanted to give you a moment to let you know that like you know I just put your name together Jaquiel is your name in my you know your nickname in my head um so we really just you know you bring that out of us we all want to be your buddy uh we all want to chat with you um mm -hmm. you're a, a soft place to land so to speak when, on tough topics so Especially thank you right and here. Look at that. Yeah, and all, and also just so you know, someone in chat, I think it was Nicole Nelson, came up with a good podcast name for you. I think it was like Current Curiosities, and I was like, yeah! Current Curiosities with Corey would be a good <laughs> podcast name. That would be, that would be, uh, and I'm unemployed right now, so you know, maybe I should get on that sooner than Do later. Do it. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dev. Thank you, Dev. And mm -hmm. you are my my conference uh, BFF. Yay! I win. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Sorry, Leah. <laughs> we can share. Dude, so I, I'm delighted because I'm going to get to share one of my favorite um, stories in all of my exposure to ufology, which is when I was at the conference in October and you recognized me. I didn't recognize you. Um, and you said, wow, so you're not Intel. And <laughs> I, 
you're like everybody thinks you're intel and i was like nope just unemployed doing the ufo yeah. thing um and you i i just want to say like that was my first time kind of meeting anyone into these subjects anyone into these interests and the whole reason i went the whole weekend for the december event was because i had such a great time with you guys that one evening in october that i wanted basically to be around you and around everybody else deb uh, i got to meet dj um at the december event so um I, I totally agree with Deb when she said giving us a soft landing in this subject. Like I just continue to respect and admire so much of the work and the uh, your contributions to the discourse on Twitter. Wait, but, but can you put your hands together for Anjali, our USAF home? Oh, hey, surprise hey, Anjali. There's another friend of mine, Anjali. Hey. What's going on, Hello. sister? Oh, hey. <laughs> I thought this was about Corey. Hi, everyone. It is. All right, we're gonna get you right out. There you go. You bet. We're back to Corey. We just. I want to see your new hairdo. Is that a crime? Come on. No, it's not. But you're probably gonna see more. So don't get attached to anything. Um, <laughs> you can what you would like on which one you like. I'm going through a series of them right now, trying to figure okay. out with this rag that's on my head. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly take Angela. any of the clip. I'll gladly take any of the clippings she has left over. I'm sorry, Corey. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say it looks good. <laughs> it looks good. Angelie's a friend, and her hair looks fantastic. I put out a tweet recently about my wife getting, you know, gray hair, and I'm a proponent of her not like dying it. So I, I think it looks great. Oh, well, thanks. Head so. back to the program. Uh, hi, yeah. hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah. Uh, Happy birthday, Corey. No, this is a surprise. This was a surprise. Okay, so Corey, this was a surprise party for you, not necessarily a birthday party. Unless you're having a birthday, then we will call it a birthday party. I'm very confused. Let's call it. My birthday is September 16th, but this is uh, a... <laughs> let, let, let's just call it like a, a celebration day. This is phenomenal. I get to be on cab with some of my favorite people. I get a surprise with Tom, with Anjali. Um, so this is really phenomenal. And all of you know, my goal was to like always be anonymous. So it, I'm still amazed that, uh, I'm doing a podcast and people, you know, know, you know, who I am. Um, yeah, I'm, so. I'm really, I'm really sorry that Anjali joined when the show was basically over. So it's, we'll have I, to invite her back. <laughs> no, no worries. I really just wanted to stop in and, and just have a brief moment to talk about how, amazing our brother Corey really is and show gratitude for him being willing to to risk you know his his personal and professional life um as as most people think of it to to be here with us and to tell his story and to seek out other people's stories and support them and to bring together academia and science and experiencers and um, and sightings all together in one place. Oh, and let's not forget ancient, you know, religious texts. Yeah. I mean, he's bringing it all in from every direction. And um, wow, you know, it's just been such such a pleasure watching you. Learn. So. Thanks, Anjali. Uh, uh, I got a short story about Anjali. Go ahead, brother. Head. So I, uh, so I have been following Anjali just like the rest of the UFO world. 
And, uh, you know, I try to withhold like judgment because I never have all of the information. So I always like, don't pass judgment. So, uh, so was a fan had followed her work and I'm at the first conference. I'm just standing outside. I'm getting ready to go in and just like, it's almost like I heard something over my right shoulder. I look over and it's like Anjali and I just stop and I'm like, you know, Hey, Anjali introduce myself. We walk down the stairs together. We take a picture. We, um, uh, we sat together for that first conference. You know, I met her, I met her partner. And um, so we decided to, to do a Zoom sometime after, a few months after that. The day that we decided to do the Zoom, I went to her YouTube channel and she had a video up there that she did a couple of days after the conference. And what blew me away is that she was going to, I think, Montauk Point in New York. She unfortunately got into a, a car accident and uh, the two EMT, or there was an EMT on site, his name was Corey. And then she gets to the hospital and there's a tech named Corey. And there's like a, another nurse or person named Corey. Yeah, so the she, nurse's name was Corey. The lab tech's name was Corey. And one of the radiology techs was Corey. It was, it was crazy. I was like, I've got Corey's coming out of my ears this weekend. So. Honestly, was, was there a DJ in there anywhere? <laughs> a UFO Twitter crush? I mean, come on, never mind. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with um, DJ Funky Chef? No. Okay. Well, now you now you have no excuse. Funky, funky. DJ <laughs> funky Chef. Okay, so he may or may not have come up that day. The most okay, important right. note of the day. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, but, back, but I you it? believe me? It's so amazing. So. I just yeah. wrote that down, but, uh, but just to seal that off real quick, when I, uh, the day I was going to have this one-on-one Anjali, I went and I saw this video and she's telling a story about how she had all these Corys. And she's like, I also met another Corey, you know, at this conference. So, uh, that's one of the synchronicities that I, you know, things that you just kind of can't explain. Um, and Anjali, you know, seems to be a big part of it. Oh, well, thank you. And I mean, obviously it was, excuse me um, that happens sometimes unfortunately uh it, we obviously were were meant to connect and um get to know each other in in this spiritual quest that we're all on here so i'm just thankful that there's so many people i think for all of you <laughs> who are all here trying to do the same thing in our own way and uh to our own calling for lack of a better way to really our own antenna, I guess. Who knows? Aha, but... uh -huh. the antenna. See, DJ, we can go so many places uh, with these with with these conversations. It, it means we, we got to. You know, I don't want to get into how my name in college. I played one year of college football, and my nickname was Kazoo because I was so small. I had to pull the chin straps up real tight, and they look like I didn't have the <laughs> trainer cut them, so they look like two antennas. And it yeah. comes to hey, Kazoo, get over here. So um. teammates all call me Kazoo. Anyway, let me get the cabbie goodbyes with Tom, and then I'm going to have a goodbye, and then we're going to talk. We're going to do a part two with you. But go ahead, Tom. Estimate of the situation. <laughs> Dude, your intros are always so awesome. So Corey, uh, you were both at you were at both of the events that I went to, and like that was my introduction to uh, UFO Twitter, so to speak, and like the community as a as a whole. Um, uh, people that know me know I'm very shy. I have a lot of anxiety. I, uh, I think the first one, it took me an hour to actually even interact with anybody. And I like to lurk in the shadows. Um, 
you were so welcoming. You were so fun. You had to like just like have a drink. Um, and then like being part of the conversation with you and like, I, I think uh, Jay was over there. A couple other people were there. It just felt so like, oh my god, there's people out here really interested in this. And you know, it, it, it's uh, it speaks volumes because like I was just at a New Year's gathering you know, this year, and you mentioned UFOs, people are, like, interested for, like, the first two sentences, and then they're like, oh, okay, and they walk away. Um, whereas with you guys, it was absolutely not that. And um, honestly, like, it's, you're you're a really cool dude. Um, your nickname is probably Air Force One. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> That's what's up! But you, you've Thanks. also got, like, a crazy heart, too, you know what I mean? Like, it just resonates from you, so... Um, I think it's great that like you're in the community. I think it's great that like part of my introduction to the community was with you there. Um, I can't wait for the next one. Uh, we're gonna get drunk. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna yeah. talk about And I'm not gonna promote anything, but I do have a copy for you. No one's seen this yet. Oh. Um, so when you. Uh, new one. Yeah. So when in, you know, so when we do meet up at the next one, um, it's gonna be a fun time, man. It's gonna be really fun. Um, Again, I'm really glad. Tom, man, thank you for those kind of words, my friend. And likewise, it was a pleasure to get to wrap it up with you, man. And I didn't pick up on any of the anxiety, so. Oh, <laughs> the alcohol. <laughs> yeah! No, Corey is incredibly memorable. Uh, the thing that people remember about me most at the conference is that I ordered the barbecue chicken and it looked excessively dry. Uh, that, oh, that, that's no. people's resounding memory of me. Um, I'm just kidding. Oh man, I could have gave <laughs> anyway. you some of my brisket. It was it was good. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the fat, but at least the grizzle. Yeah. But, uh, I want to say for my part, before I address Corey, I want to say it's an honor to be part of this community. And I mean, sort of like all these people that uh, take part in the show, come on the show, people like Tom, people like Angelio Double G, how long will I live? Who will I be? The G that I was, right? Um, uh, and obviously Leia and Deb, because the diversity of the group is what makes it so beautiful. You know, that people from all these different walks of life who have different takes come together for a common cause. This is really what it's all about. This is what you were talking about earlier. To you, Corey, um, like I was saying, we met, I introduced myself to you just before the event, I think because Deb's told me she met you, told me you were gonna be there. And uh, I don't know, there was something that intrigued me. And I said, mm, I think we need to get, get you on cab. And then so we said, okay, yeah, we'll go ahead and meet at the, at the event. And uh, yeah, you are an amazing dude with a lot of positivity. You're very, very inspiring. So I, I, I want to thank, um, thank all of you for coming on. Obviously, we got two cabbies up there, but Tom for uh, coming in and guest co-hosting. And Anjali, thank you. Namaste. Yeah. Namaste. And I look forward to talking. You, 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 I, and Cor uh, you, myself, and Corey will get together, talk some aviation stuff. And Corey, it's an honor to be your friend. And I look forward to a part two where we can dive into some more business. Yeah, yeah, dive deep, man. It, it, the honor is all mine, honestly. I'm, I'm really thankful uh, to be a part of this. It actually gives uh, some meaning to the, the life of research, you know, that I've, uh, the research that I put into. Uh, so I'm glad. Uh, to be a part of it and you guys are really some of the best people i've ever met i love the camaraderie um i love the the synchronicities all of us have and uh and you're right uh tom it's hard to find two people uh in any given room who know anything about ufos <laughs> so 
uh, good place to be plugged in. I look forward to, you know, whatever comes next. Yeah. And, uh, I want to say, uh, for, um, for, uh, Debs, for, uh, my homie, Leia primetime for Tom, for Anjale, this is DJ saying peace out. One love. We'll see right. you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. Thanks, so. Oh, Thanks, I thought Leia. that was it. Is that yeah. it? Maybe that wasn't it. I don't know if I know how to do Nathan's thing. Oh, it's this thing right here. There it goes. That was it. We...